You know, there are there are two kinds of mountain climbs. Well, actually, there's quite lots of different kinds of mountain climbs, but there's two kinds that I want to specifically think about for just a minute. One kind of a climb is what we just saw in that video. It's a climber that does this death-defying journey upward, and then he's able to either kind of walk back down a different way or he gets to the top and there's a road up there, or maybe he gets to the top and he's picked up by a helicopter, but it's all about going up. And once the going up part is over, the hard part is over. But there's another kind of climb where you have to go up, but it involves coming back down as well. And often the descent can be more perilous than the climb. See, when you're going up, you're looking up and you're less likely to be looking at all the ways around you that you could kill yourself. But when you're coming back down, you start to think, you know, if I sneeze or if I have a thought in the front of my mind, I'm just going to start going and just keep going and I'm going to plummet to my death. Because it's that kind of climb, and the going down part can be really, really dangerous. On Mount Everest, the deadliest day in history came in 2015, when 19 climbers were killed because of an avalanche due to the earthquake in Nepal. But before that, the deadliest day on Mount Everest was in 1996, when eight climbers lost their lives on the same day. You can read about that day in the book Into Thin Air. It's a fascinating read. But the climbers, unfortunately, regrettably, surprisingly maybe, were on their descent when they died. The hard part was supposed to have been over. They made it to the top, only it wasn't the hard part, the hardest. Sometimes the climb is not even a death-defying thing at all. Going down can still be tough. Pikes Peak in Colorado is a 14,115-foot climb. There is actually a marathon on Pikes Peak. If you do a half marathon, you get to run up the mountain for 13 miles, and then you're finished. A friend of mine did the half marathon. He said some of his friends who trained with him did the whole thing. They said the coming down part was even more painful than the going up part because of the pounding on your body going down for 13 miles. You've heard the old phrase, what goes up must come down. Sometimes it's the coming down part that's the hard part. We're going to talk about a man today, look at a man today, who had an incredible mountaintop experience. In fact, he had a number of them during his lifetime, but the real work began after he came down. In the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, we're introduced to a man named Moses. Moses spent a good amount of his time in the mountains. And whether you're a Bible history person or not, you probably have at least heard of Moses. Maybe you know that uh, he helped lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and to the promised land. Uh, you might remember the old Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments, all about Moses. Maybe you're more of a Prince of Egypt era person. Maybe you missed both of those. But there's been lots of retellings of his story. Before we get to Moses' story itself, I want to give you a little background because I like to make sure there's context to what we're talking about. About 600 years before Moses, okay, somewhere around 2100 B.C., God told a man named Abraham to leave his homeland, travel to the promised land. And we talked about Abraham last week and his son, Isaac. Abraham's family settled in the promised land and they enjoyed the land for the next three generations. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Esau, Jacob had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. When a famine came later, God moved those 12 tribes of Israel to Egypt. And they lived there in safety and in abundance. They prospered there in a huge way. But as the generations passed, the Israelites increased in number. The Egyptians forgot about their good friendship with the Jews. 
Many of the Jews forgot about their good friendship with God, and things went from bad to worse for the people of God. The Egyptians made them slaves for 400 plus years. They uh, built the splendor of Egypt and they served the people there. But things just kept going from bad to worse. In fact, life got so cheap in Egypt that there was a time when Pharaoh said that all the male babies born to the Hebrews had to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. The Egyptians were afraid that if they didn't get control of the number of slaves, one day they were going to revolt against them. Well, through the courage of Moses' parents and the providence of God, when Moses was born, not only was he spared being drowned in the, in, in the Nile River, but also he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. It's an amazing story. If you don't know it, you ought to read about it in Exodus chapter 2. I kind of imagine baby Moses looking something like this. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying that's a possibility. Okay. Um, possible. Have I mentioned I had a grandson born yesterday? Okay. Anyway. Moses' real mother, kind of cool thing, got to nurse him and care for him. He was raised, however, in the palace of the king. What that means is that the faith of his ancestors was instilled in him by his mom, and the power and education of Egypt were at his disposal as the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. Basically, what I'm trying to say is he walked like an Egyptian. <laughs> for those of you from the 80s, there you go. God was preparing Moses for a, for a very important role. When Moses grew up, he, uh, he began to question his identity. Was he a Hebrew? Was he an Egyptian? Was he the son of a slave? Was he the grandson of the emperor? And, and it was hard to know for him. Well, one day he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave and he intervened. He ended up killing the Egyptian and he had to run for his life. Not a good idea uh, to do this act against the Egyptians. He left the lap of luxury. He ends up in the wilderness of Midian. He's there for 40 years. He's a fugitive from his homeland. He marries there. He raises children there. He settles down there. He is content to live out the rest of his years as a shepherd in a peaceful land. But God had other things in mind. See, grazing, grazing of sheep had become difficult around Midian. And so it was thirsty work. He had to travel uh, a pretty fair range to find pasture land. And then Moses led his flocks across the desert toward the region of Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. Now, there's something that we're going to learn in this study, and that's that sometimes the same mountain will go by different names. There's Horeb and there's Sinai. They are either the exact same mountain, or it's possible they are two different peaks on the same mountain. It's possible that they are two different sides of the same mountain. Scholars kind of disagree about that, but it was this area of Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb where Moses had gone with his sheep. They were weary. He was lonely. His mind probably drifted back at times to Midian, thinking about his wife and her family. He would drift his mind farther back to Egypt, to the luxury there, to the wealth and the abundance. And he stares across the expanse. Maybe he's thinking, boy, the, never, the scenery just never changes around here. Until he saw something that he never had seen before. He had never seen before. A bush was on fire. It was a deciduous bush. I told you I was going to come back to that word. It was a deciduous bush. It was on fire. He had seen bushes burn before. I mean, he's in a very hot land. Of course he had seen it before. Only this bush was not being consumed by the fire. So he decided to climb higher up onto Mount Sinai to see this thing he had never seen before. And he hears a voice as he is climbing. 
Any voice as far away from people as he is would be surprising, but this voice was unlike any voice he had ever, ever heard before. And the voice said to him, Moses, Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. <coughs> now, what would you do if a bush that you had never met before knew your name and told you to take off your shoes? He took off his shoes. And the voice continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard that, he bowed his head, he covered his face, he swallowed his gum. I don't know, I mean, this is, he's terrified now. And then it says in Exodus 3, verse 7, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And all that sounded great to Moses. This was the answer to his prayers, at least until God said the next thing in verse 10. So he says to Moses, now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Now let's just kind of call a time out real quick here. Moses is 80 years old. He's obviously in good condition. He's walking all around the desert with his sheep, but he's in the twilight years of life. I mean, no offense to anybody, but he's been on Medicaid, Medicare for 15 years. I mean, come on. <laughs> Leading a bunch of sheep around Sinai is one thing, but now he's supposed to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. He's not interested in a new career. Besides, the last thing that Pharaoh said to him when he left was, if I ever see your face again, you're going to be sorry you were ever born. Loose translation, but that's basically what he said. And now God wants Moses to march back into Egypt, explain to Pharaoh in no uncertain time terms that he's supposed to release the slaves, a million or so, and then lead them out of Egypt to the promised land. This is not a retirement job. This is not being a greeter at Walmart. But, but Moses, now don't worry about Moses because he's got it all figured out. He's not going to just roll over and do this thing. He has several excellent reasons why He's the wrong man for the job. And so he's going to explain to God why he can't possibly do this. Don't you love it when people explain things to God? It's like, God, I know you don't quite understand what's going on here. Let me explain to you why this is a bad idea, why somebody else will do it so much better. So he's going he's gonna to explain to God. And he's got, a, he's got a list. The first thing he says, basically, is I'm not good enough. This is the, the lack of self-worth excuse. Verse 11 of Exodus 3, Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Now, it's not really so hard to imagine why he might have felt this way. He did not fit in among the Israelites because they were slaves. He was raised in the palace. He didn't fit in among the Egyptians because even though he was raised in the palace, everybody knew he was the son of a slave. He was kind of a man without a country. And he felt like he didn't have any clout. With either group, the Jews or the, the Egyptians, to march in and start telling people what to do. Now, in hindsight, we would say he was the perfect person for the job. He had Israelite blood. He was raised with the faith of his ancestors. And yet he grew up being the most educated, the most experienced. He had everything that Egypt could offer. Who would be better to come in and free the slaves? But he didn't see it that way. He felt disrespected. He felt unwanted. But God said to him in Exodus 3.12, I will be with you, and this will be your sign 
that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. And that's exactly what happened. On, on the very mountain of Sinai, where God called Moses from the burning bush, later, all those Israelite slaves worshipped there, and God actually delivered the Ten Commandments. In fact, he delivered his entire law to Moses on that very mountain. See, Moses lacked self-worth. He didn't think that he had what it takes, but God assured him that together they could accomplish the impossible. In the book, Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby wrote, when you believe that nothing, listen, when you believe that nothing significant can happen through you, you have said more about your belief in God than you have said about yourself. Is God trustworthy or not? The Apostle Paul, well, here's another quote quickly from Blackaby. He said, anything significant that happens in my life is the result of God's activity in my life. The Apostle Paul kind of explained it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said that God is present in us. It's like a treasure in a clay pot. If you have a clay pot, let's say it's worth five bucks. And you put a jewel, maybe a diamond in there that's worth a million dollars. Suddenly that clay pot is now worth one million and five dollars. It's not because of the clay pot. It's because of what's inside. And God promises us as followers of his that he is in us. I will be in you. I will live in you, Jesus says. He's the treasure, we're the clay pot, but when you put it together, the value is un, untold. And that made Moses feel pretty good, but he's not out of excuses, not by a long shot. His next excuse is, I don't know enough. This is the lack of knowledge excuse. Exodus 3.13, Moses protested. We're going to hear that a lot. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Moses is talking to a burning bush and he wants to be respectful, but he works out, look, I don't even know your name. Can you imagine me walking into Egypt and telling the people that they're supposed to be released? And when they say, who told you that? I'm going to say, well, this bush I was talking to just told me that I'm, this is not going to go well. You know why I think people a lot of times are terrified to have any kind of spiritual conversation with somebody? Because they're afraid they're going to be asked a question they can't answer. They're afraid they're going to say something stupid. They're going to embarrass themselves. Or even worse, they're going to embarrass God. It had been a long time since Moses had learned from his mother the, the basics of the Hebrew faith. If he told the people that God was about to deliver them, they'd probably ask a lot of questions. He didn't feel prepared to answer those questions. And, and so he needed more information. So you know what? God gave him more information. Verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Not I was the God of the past, not I will be the God of the future. I am the God of the present, the God of today, the God of right now. And if that wasn't enough, if that was still a little bit vague, God says in verse 15, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. There was no doubt in the Hebrews' minds who that God was. The God of their ancestors, the God of history, the maker of heaven and earth. And so God said, look, you want answers, I'll give you answers. And he gave Moses the information that he needed. Friends, I believe that if God calls us to do something, if he invites us to join him in his work, he's going to give us the information that we need. 
Now we have to be willing to, to dig a little bit. We have to get into his word to learn his will for our lives. And we need to be willing to pray for wisdom and for guidance. But God never calls us to accomplish something that we don't have the capacity to accomplish. Truth is, nobody knows the answer to everything, right? But when we seek God's will, he equips us through his word, even when life throws us some curveballs. Just a quick FYI, the, the emergency lights, they come on when there's power. I think the power stuff's doing things, so the emergency lights are coming on and off. So if you're a little weirded out by that, um, yeah, I think when I get louder, they come on. I'm not sure what it is. But anyway, uh, I don't think it's anything if... Yeah, anyway, it's all fine. All right, here, here's his third excuse, because he's not done. I might fail. This is the lack of confidence excuse. Exodus 4.1, Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me? Or what if they don't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Lord, what if I give it my best shot and nobody believes me? What if I do everything you tell me and I can't even rally any support? And man, I can understand that, can't you? Nobody wants to look stupid in a bunch of in front of a bunch of people. I mean, the people on American Idol do it at the beginning, but for the most part, nobody wants to look dumb. Nobody wants to hear "I told you so." But I believe that nothing of any significance at all ever is accomplished by playing it safe. If it's safe and easy, somebody's already done it by now. We have to be willing to take some risks sometimes when we try things for God. And, and you know what? All of God's plans ultimately succeed. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to hit some foul balls along the way, that we're going to strike out sometimes. But ultimately, God's plans succeed. Look what God said to Moses in chapter 4, verse 2. Then the Lord asked him, what's in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. And so Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Just a little safety tip for you. It's best not to pick up a snake by the tail. Now I know what you're thinking. Where does the tail start? I mean, it's kind of all tail, right? But, but you don't really want to grab it by the end because it can kind of turn around and, and come back at you. Better to grab it behind the head or maybe you're thinking better to not grab it at all. But God told him, pick it up by the tail. And so he did. That took some courage. And then it turned back into a staff. In his hand. But then God said, now take your hand, put it inside your robe. So he did, hoping he's not going to pull out a snake. And he said, God said, pull it back out. He pulls it back out. His hand's covered in leprosy, which was terrifying. And then God said, put it back in. He did. He brought it back out. And his hand was clean. These were pretty impressive miracles. And God was going to work some miracles like that through Moses. In Egypt, verse 5, God says, perform this sign. The Lord told him, then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. God says, look, these miracles are going to give you credibility. And, and here's something else that I, I believe. I believe if God calls us to do something, he's going to give us the tools that we need to get it done. Again, not going to win every battle, not always going to come out on top, but ultimately, if we're doing what God has called us to do, we're going to succeed. If we give God our best, he's going to come through. Failure is never final when we're working on God's side. And, and Moses heard that, but he's still not, he's not ready. So next comes the I can't do anything right excuse. This is the lack of talent excuse. Verse 10. 
chapter 4. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. What's he saying? Maybe he stuttered. Maybe he has a lisp. Maybe he has trouble putting words together. Basically, he's saying, look, I'm not gifted here. There are better communicators. I can't do it. And friends, whether you believe this or not, I am convinced, I believe the Bible is clear, that everyone is gifted at something. Everyone is gifted at something. And it's not all the same things. Some people have upfront kind of gifts. Might be music or teaching or leadership. Other people are more behind the scenes in their gifts. It could be hospitality or serving or encouragement. God's not going to ask you to do something that you're not gifted to do. God's not going to call you to do something you're not gifted to do. There is a reason that Hannah Mobley leads our children's ministry and not me. There is a reason that Mark Mobley works with middle school and high school students and not me. There's a reason that Josh Bunch leads our worship band and not me. I can't do those things. God equips us so that we can do what he calls us to do. Now, sometimes those gifts are not refined yet. Sometimes we have to work really hard to become competent. You might be a walking container of untapped potential, right? You might have all this untapped potential and you just got to work at it, but God's going to give you the gifts that you need. Look at verse 11. The Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll be with you as you speak. I will instruct you in what to say. Moses, look, I wouldn't give you this job if I wasn't going to help you accomplish it. You know, when I was growing up, my youth minister, Gary Pettyjohn, had a stuttering problem. When he was a little boy all through high school, he stuttered like crazy. And he'd tell people he was going to be a preacher, and they'd say, oh, my. And then he went to Bible college, and he told me if we had to do a five-minute speech in freshman speech class, I would prepare a three-minute speech knowing I would stutter for the other two minutes. I mean, it was rough for a while, but he worked hard. And if you heard him preach today... You would barely know that he stutters at all. It has been a process for him, but he had to work at it. But here's the thing. He had to answer the call before he got any better with his stuttering. He had to answer the call first. And then God helped him deal with his weakness. Exodus 4.13, Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Not just send someone else, send anyone else. And to the I'm not good enough excuse, God said, I'll be with you. To the I don't know enough excuse, God said, I'll tell you what you need to know. To the I might fail excuse, God said, I will bring you ultimate success. And to the I can't do anything right excuse, God said, hey, look, I'm going to help you all along the way. But now is the I don't want to excuse. This is the lack of desire. And look how God responds in verse 14 of chapter 4. Then the Lord became angry. With Moses. The New International Version says the Lord's anger burned against Moses. See, up till now, man, God had been reassuring him and encouraging him and saying, hey, we can do this together. It's all going to be okay. But when Moses kind of whines, I don't want to, suddenly God is the exasperated parent. And he says, listen, I've given you every opportunity to volunteer. And now I'm telling you, you are going to go to Egypt. You are going to bring the people out and you're going to have a good time. And he's just saying, look, I'm telling you, you're going to do this. God puts his foot down. Now, Moses, I guess, still could have said no, but then he would have been openly defiant against God. 
And he wasn't willing to do that. He was smart enough not to do that. So he accepts the call. He goes to Egypt. Truly becomes one of the most powerful, the most gifted, the most respected and inspiring leaders of all time. But Moses had to reach a point where he was willing to say yes to God. You understand that, right? He had to say yes to God. Let me give you just a very simple bottom line today. God can use anybody who wants to be used. God can use anybody who is willing to be used. Something else Henry Blackaby said in his book, Experiencing God. You cannot be, listen, you cannot be in a relationship with Jesus and not be on mission. If you say you're following Jesus and you're doing nothing to kind of advance his kingdom or to influence other people in a positive way, you're missing the point. We start out by saying yes, period. And then he helps us figure out how to use our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our opportunities. Big or small, but we have to do it together. Walking by faith is doing what God asks us to do. And then when we step out on faith, he shows up. As I was preparing this message, I, I kind of became convinced of a couple of things. One is that God calls all of us to do something for him. And two, all of us at one time or another have used one of these five excuses. So here's what I want to do. I want you to look at that list of excuses again. I'm not good enough. Let's go, go to the next slide. I don't know enough. I might fail. I can't do anything right. And I don't want to. And I want you to be honest with yourself. And I want you to think, what's my default excuse? What's the one I'm most likely to use? Is it lack of self-worth? Is it lack of knowledge? Is it lack of confidence? Is it lack of talent? Or is it lack of desire? Be honest. And then would you be willing just to pray about that and ask God to help you figure out next steps in your life? I wonder if you've ever heard of a, of a guy named David Ring, R-I-N-G. He's a preacher. He's a, a motivational speaker, not exactly your Billy Graham type evangelist. David has cerebral palsy. He has a speech impediment that's so bad, sometimes you can barely understand him talk. A friend of mine said that he heard him speak to a crowd of over 11,000 people some years ago, and he said it was spellbinding. David told how as a little boy, he dealt with his disability, and his mother was his rock, she was his strength, and she died, and he felt like he had nowhere to turn, and it just drew him closer and closer to the Lord. And God really came through for him as he would tell his story. He would wrap up his talk and he would say, they told me I'd never ride a bike, but I did. They told me I'd never get married, but I did. I got five kids to prove that. He said, they told me that I would never preach. But last year I preached 265 times. He ends his talk by saying, I have cerebral palsy, but I preach. What's your excuse? And I believe like David Ring, like Moses, like many people in the Bible, like many people today, I believe God calls all of us to do something. It might be leading a ministry. It might be inviting your neighbor to church or just kind of talking to them about Christ in some way. It might be serving in children's ministry. It might be hosting a small group in your home. It might be playing an instrument in the worship band. It might be fixing a meal for a neighbor who's going through a tough time. It might be being a preacher, being an elder, being a missionary. It might be meeting a younger, newer Christian and just kind of taking them under your wing and inviting them to lunch. 
It, it might be serving as a foster parent. It, it might be serving as a youth leader. There's any number of things. And you say, yeah, I'm, I don't think I have what it takes. And granted, maybe you're not the smartest person in the world. Maybe you're not the best looking or the most talented or, or the best anything. You know what? Worldwide, none of us in this room are the best at anything. Because there's always people who are better. Always. God doesn't ask you to be them. He asks you to be you. And I believe that God wants to use you. I believe God will use anybody who wants to be used. Listen to this and we're done. Your ability is not nearly as important as your availability. You hear me? Your ability is not nearly as important as your availability. God wants to use you if you want to be used. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we look in your word and we see people that we often kind of list among heroes of the faith. And you got Moses saying, look, I, I stutter and nobody likes me and nobody respects me and they're going to not listen to me and I don't know everything I need to know. And excuse after excuse for two chapters in the Bible. And God, every time you said, I got that. I'm okay with that. I can work with that. Moses, I just need you to say yes. And I believe that that conversation could play out today for any one of us. So many excuses. And God just says, I got your back. I'm all right with that. I can work with that. I just need you to say yes. God, give us the courage to say yes first, trusting that uh, things are going to work out, whatever that needs to be. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. Help us, God. We do it in your holy name because of our love and our service to you, Lord Jesus. Amen.